Positive Parenting Podcast, where we aim to encourage and equip parents in wisdom with hope in the gospel for the everyday. Your hosts are me, Kristen, and my husband, Pastor Pete. Yay, I'm back. He's back. He's going to make it for all this whole season. And this is episode four. And today we're talking about the gospel. We've talked all around it with our past conversations about redemptive living, grace, and sin. But it's important to be more clear on what the gospel is and what it's not and why it matters. Yeah, and why it matters, it's not just for salvation, but for all of life. Uh, too many Christians think the gospel is what gets them in, and then we move on to something else in order to grow in the Christian life. But the gospel is the A through Z rather than the ABCs of the Christian life. So, Well, I would just say from my experience in leading teen Bible studies that I know there's so much confusion over what the gospel is, even among church people. In fact, it's what led me to write my first book, Get Your Story Straight. Exactly. And the same's true with adults. Uh, as a pastor, I find this as well, that we're not clear on what the gospel is and what it isn't. Um, so let's start with what is it and what it isn't. Uh, first of all, it has a historical context. Um, the word gospel means good news. And in those days, uh, when kings would go off to war, depending on the outcome of the war, would depend on who they send back to their people. If they won, then he would send heralds to proclaim the message that it's over. We've won. You're safe. No need to fear. But if the king lost, then he would send his generals, <laughs> and those generals would go back to the people with instructions. So first and foremost, the gospel is not good advice. It's a pronouncement of good news of Jesus' victory being accomplished. So to explain, like, good, I mean, I know what good advice is, but like, how does that get confused as the gospel? Like, maybe give us an example of what a good advice would be um, that might um, appear to be the gospel. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, first, um, good advice is anything that tells you what to do. Um, the gospel is something that is outside of you. It is something that Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection, and it has nothing to do with you. So any good advice would be, you know, here's how to be a more loving husband, or here are steps to follow. And it's, like I said, it's good advice, but it's not necessarily good news. And we confuse thinking that, oh, if I just follow this and do this, then I'm okay, where the gospel is a lot more than that. It's not anything that you do. It's what Christ has done, period. So, so yeah, so why don't you elaborate in that? Because then that'll lead us into um, why this matters and how um, this plays into parenting. Well, because um, too often people, um, <laughs> they think that growth in the Christian life is based on something that we do. When Paul tells us, um, that he's not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for all of our salvation, not just to get us in, but also for our sanctification as well. And so the gospel is the only thing that can change your heart. And the gospel, it's, it's, uh, it's loaded. The way to think of it, it's like 
it's who Jesus is and what he has done, or a way that we say it around here is his worth and his work. So who he is and what he's done. And so it's not just because I think I kind of grew up thinking, um, and until more recent years, you know, it was Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that's part of it. I mean, that's a big part of it. But we leave off something when we only say that. Right. And so, you know, you're talking about his work and his worth. Right. Elaborate, like expand on on what more? What is it? Besides well, just he died on the cross for us. Yeah. Uh, well, just think of it this way. They've got, it's, a, it's a message about events, historical events. So it's the historical events of Jesus' personal incarnation, about his perfect life, about his punishing death, and then his powerful resurrection. But then the gospel is also the implications of what his life, death, and resurrection mean. So say, for example, Jesus's incarnation is a part of the gospel. The fact that God came to be with us, that God became human, means that God understands us. God knows us. God has experienced everything that we have experienced. So whenever we see Jesus in the way that he's living his life and how he's living his life, everything he does is gospel. And so his perfect life is what we uh, miss when all we think of is that his death, that Jesus didn't just die for me, but he lived for me, which means he lived the perfect life that God demands and requires of us to live, to be perfect as I am perfect, be holy as I am holy. And yet nobody is and nobody can. And that's why Jesus came to live and fulfill the law for us. So, I mean, we talk about, you know, that Jesus took our sins onto the cross with him. But but this is what is so amazing to me is that in exchange, we get his perfect life yes. imparted to us. And so God now views me according to Christ's work of perfection. And that just blows my mind yes. because that means I'm covered. I mean, I'm covered in his righteous robes of perfection. That mm-hmm. God sees me as holy perfect and righteous, even in my sin. Yeah. And when we're united to him, everything that is true of Jesus is true of those who trust in him. So yes, his righteousness, you know, when our daughter was going through her eating disorder, one of the ways to help her understand the implications of the gospel in this area is, was for her to see that Jesus knew that she would struggle with food. So Jesus ate perfectly for her. And by eating perfectly for her now, it's as if she has eaten perfectly. And we can say that with everything. I mean, in all the ways that I've lost my patience, Jesus was always perfectly patient for me. Or in all the ways that I have um, rebelled against Mm -hmm. him. I mean, he never rebelled against his father. He always did. Yeah, it's the great. It's what theologians call the great exchange. All of my sin is placed on him, and then all of his righteousness is declared to be mine. And so, again, as Kristen said, it's a robe of righteousness. Isaiah calls it. And so, this robe of righteousness literally covers all of our unrighteousness. So, when you think of it this way, when you look at Jesus's death, one of the the questions. Um, that you have to ask is why did he die and hang on a cross naked? Well, nakedness in the Bible uh, is always associated with shame. 
And so Jesus was naked so that we could be clothed. And we are clothed with his righteousness, and it is his righteousness which covers our shame and our sin. That reminds me, just last night, we were having a dinner table conversation and we were talking about like why don't like why don't our kids come to us when they've sinned Mm -hmm. and the same thing is why don't we go to God when we've sinned and we talk about it being our shame and that we fear you know but Mm -hmm. really if we really get what we're covered in Mm -hmm. then it would free us to be able to go to whether it's our parents for our kids or for Mm -hmm. any of us to go to God because he's already taken that shame like you just said he hung on the cross in our shame yeah and so then you think of that as well it's like again for christians we don't know why god allows things to happen in our lives why certain struggles with sin certain people have versus struggles that other people have um but the incarnation god becoming flesh god with us tells us that we have a resource who understands what we're going through. There is nothing that we have experienced that Jesus has not experienced. And therefore, it's, you know, part of the good news and the announcement of that is that because he understands, you can go to him. And because he understands, he has compassion on you. One of the most shocking statements um, that really struck me from John 4 is the way that Jesus looked at this woman caught in a in an adulterous relationship. She's had five husbands, and now the guy she's sleeping with is not her husband, and yet Jesus pursued her. Jesus had compassion on her in her sin. So to think that God looks at us in our sin with compassion is mind-blowing, and it's hard for us to believe. And that's the problem, is that we don't go to God because we believe lies about God. Uh, We believe that our sin isn't forgiven, or we believe that Jesus hasn't paid for all of our sin. So that's why we think, I can't go to God. I can't go to God yet. And then fill in that, what do we mean by that? Well, I can't go to him until, until what? Until I clean myself up first. So now look at what you're believing. You're believing a lie that you have to clean yourself up first before God accepts you. And the gospel announces that because of what Christ has done, God accepts you and Jesus cleanses you. So go to him amidst your sin. And so you can see how this is so important that we understand it so that we can impart it to our kids because it is, I mean, this that is the freedom of the gospel when we get who we are because of who Christ is for us. It it is just freeing. And it is what it changes the way that we deal with sin, our honesty before one another, our transparency, being vulnerable and, and just, I mean, within the family, being able to talk about um, what's really going on, because if there's no shame, if he has taken it and, and we are still fully accepted and loved, it doesn't change anything about us. Then, we shouldn't have to hide what we've done. Right, right. And that's the problem. Um, the most commanded phrase in all the Bible, it's not to love one another. It's do not fear. Over 300 times, God commands us not to be afraid, which means if this is the most frequent commanded phrase, then it's probably the greatest thing that we as humans struggle with is that we still fear God. We don't leave the garden like Adam and Eve. We hide, we try to cover up, and 
we continue to do so even now. Uh, and I can say all this, and I believe all of this, and yet I still find myself being afraid. Afraid that God's mad at me, that God's disappointed with me, that God's disgusted with me because I'm still struggling with this, rather than seeing, no, he poured out everything, all of his wrath upon his son, and even the sins I haven't even committed yet are taken care of. They're paid for. So God, if he's not mad at you, then why would you not go to him in your sin? And then there's another aspect too, just throw this in there, that you know we tend to think, you know, as the writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. Well, think of it this way. Who understands sin more? The one who never gave into it or the one who does? Because what happens to your sin when you in the temptation when you give into it? It goes away. But Jesus never gave into it, which means it was constantly before him. So he understands sin and our struggle with it actually more than we do. And so again, I can go to him because he understands what it's like to be tempted, because he understands what it's like when we turn away from God. And so again, other areas where we have freedom, instead we live in the slavery of our fear that God's going to punish us or that God's mad at us. Well, and so often our kids don't talk honestly about their struggles and their sin and Mm -hmm. the temptation because... Um, like you talked about in the beginning, you know, we're so focused on good advice or as we've talked about in a past podcast about law. And so they don't feel the freedom that they can come and they don't know the good news of the gospel. So I just don't think there's anything more important that we can be constantly talking about. And it's why we need to hear the gospel Mm -hmm. constantly. It's why when we go to church on Sundays, we need to hear the gospel, not good advice. I mean, it's constant. We need to be in the word talking about it. I mean, like you said, again, it's, it is the A to Z of the Christian life. We can we, we always forget it. Right. And because we, again, because it's something that has been done for us outside of us, it's not natural to us. And so that's where works uh, is natural to us, thinking that I have to merit and earn. You know, Peter, interestingly enough, when Jesus was washing his feet, first thing Peter says was, never, Lord, you will not wash my feet. Why? Because he thinks he had to be worthy. He thinks that for Jesus to do that for him, that that was beneath him. And then Jesus says, unless I do this to you, Peter, you have no part in me, which means we must allow Jesus to do his salvific work to save us. And the problem is that we struggle to believe it. So the normal Christian cry is, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And part of what it means in the, in the sanctification process of what God does is he shows us the areas of our life where we don't believe the gospel, not to beat us up, but to show us where we don't believe it so that we would believe it in those areas. And by believing it in those areas of our lives, it might change the way we live in and live that out in those areas. And that, I'm just thinking about like the importance of gospel self-talk, but maybe we'll pick back up in episode five, talking more about what that looks like to um, preach the gospel to ourselves and teach our kids mm-hmm. to do the same. Okay. So thanks for joining us once again. I hope that you found this helpful. 
Um, if you have questions for us, we would love for you to reach out. You can find all the episodes or um, contact information on my website, kristenhatton.com. So we're signing off for today. Till next time. See ya. Adios. Bye.